though. Our world could be complex and frightening, but what if there was a world within ours? A world of gods and monsters, with danger and victory only a keystroke away. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and solar sailor, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. Our feature tonight is Tron Legacy, the 2010 science fiction adventure and sequel to 1982's Tron. And my guest is career scientist Ed Bloomer. You join us in his arguing room on a Monday evening. Greetings, program. Hello. Now, um, I chose Tron Legacy for what I hope is a Christmas podcast, depending on uh, certain technical factors okay. that might dictate how soon we're able to release this. So, happy Easter. Because, firstly, it was released at Christmas. Was it? Yes. Well, okay, so I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really doubting you. I'm just trying to think when I... Because I saw it when it came out of the cinema. I don't remember. Yeah, it came out um, the week before Christmas. It's the Lord of the Rings weekend, as it's now known. It's the weekend before Christmas when the big blockbuster movie comes out. Now Star Wars weekend. Now Star Wars weekend. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, that's going to date the... Uh, that's going to be a dated reference. Yeah, there was an episode of Class, the Doctor Who spin-off, the other week. Where Lord of the Rings, Even that, that's going to date as well. Lord people. of the Rings was mentioned as an old film my dad likes. Nice. Ridiculous. They might have been talking about the cartoon, though. They weren't. Okay. But I was very much looking forward to seeing Tron Legacy when it came out, even though I wasn't that big a fan of the original movie. There had been a huge uh, fan push to get this sequel made yeah. over a long period of time. And then this... Uh, test film emerged directed by Joseph Kaczynski which was met by an incredibly positive response and that yeah. then provided the blueprint for the movie itself and I, I do remember things like uh, Comic Con that year they'd set up a replica of Flynn's Arcade and things like that that yes. opened up and revealed that so I mean certainly marketing wise even before the main marketing push of the film itself it was being marketed possibly more to the fans than to a general audience who may not have been familiar with the property. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, because yeah, was, I don't know how much... Twenty-eight years. The, there was a 28-year gap yeah. between the two movies. Yes. Because the first one came out in 1982, when I was a year old, and the second one came out when I was 29. <laughs> okay. And now too old. Too old to enjoy it. Too, well, it's a Disney movie. Okay. But I was very much looking forward to seeing it. It's, in some ways, a funny story, because... The uh, two days before the weekend, on the Thursday evening, it was my office Christmas party. At... <laughs> Is this going to be a funny story? It has a knock-on effect. Right. Did you get drunk and watch Tron Legacy? Well, I was having a nice time. It was this odd industrial art installation. It's quite hard to describe how strange an environment it was for a Christmas party. Okay. But um, the caterers had poured glasses of wine and let people help themselves. And I had a couple. I didn't, I didn't have too much to drink. And then at 10.30 the following morning, suddenly my brain starts working again. Okay. Because I blacked out for about 11 or 12 hours. I have no idea how I got home. I managed to pick up my umbrella from the cloakroom. So I couldn't... I'm very curious how this is going to tie into Tron. And I, I was extremely ill. And Did Tron cure you? <laughs> Can Tron cure a hangover? Well, that was the... I had to I had to phone and work that day. I was already two hours late when I woke up. And I had to explain, yes, I can't come in after the office Christmas party 
because I'm too ill, which I don't think was widely believed, but it's true. Presumably the other people at the party must have known that you weren't in any fit state. That's the thing, though, because that's never happened to me before or since. And I have a very strong suspicion that I was, uh, I'd taken a, a drug drink. Okay. Now tie this into Tron? On the Saturday I went to see Tron. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it was, that was... That was it better or worse than blacking out? That was the first time that I'd been able to venture very far from my own house, was to travel halfway across London to find a cinema that was showing Tron in 2D because I didn't think I'd be able to see it in 3D properly. And it meant that much to me, that in the snow and the ice and with my damage... Snow and ice? It was There was thick snow on the ground at the time. Do you live in the same London that... Christmas 2010, there was snow on the ground. Okay. Or at least the week before. <laughs> All right, okay. So you battled on and you made I it... I battled on because I was determined to, to see this. Okay. Was it worth it? I didn't mind it. Right, <laughs> there you go. But in retrospect, in the, in the following years, I thought, yeah, that was that was a pretty good movie. I'll keep an eye out for that when it's on TV again. And then I watched it when it was on TV. And I thought, actually, that was really good. And then I bought the Blu-ray and I watched that. And I thought, actually, this is brilliant. And every time I watch it, I enjoy it more and more. Really? Okay. I would say the opposite, I think. I mean, so I saw it in the cinema. And visually, it's brilliant. But I would say once that's worn off, I enjoy it less and less. Or I enjoy it maybe a minute's worth of it, but I don't want to watch two hours worth of it. It's impressive. Viewed on a big screen, it looks cool. But I think proceeds into the past, it's, it gets clunkier and clunkier. Oh, no, I disagree. Okay. I think it, it only becomes richer and more interesting. <laughs> okay. All right, well, shall we jump in then? Yeah, well, it's, it's, this isn't our first Disney movie. But um, all the Disney movies we've done have had alternate versions of the Disney logo. Right, okay. Because we did John Carter, which starts with it all in a red sky, so it looks like the castle's in hell. And When, when was John Carter? 2012. 2012. Because am I right in thinking that Tron was when they, or, or maybe the year before Tron, they'd announced that their strategy going forward was going to be either $150 million dollar films or 30 to 50 million dollar films that they weren't going to try I, I have a vague recollection that Disney just went to the effort of announcing that they were going to go for cheap films comparatively I suppose mm. uh, or blockbusters and they weren't going to try and compete for the middle ground and I think Tron Legacy was one of them and John Carter was another one of them which itself might have led to them abandoning that process well my understanding is after John Carter, they announced that their a, a, a strategy along those lines which was, was okay, that they were going it? to f- uh, pursue specific franchises that they owned, Marvel, Star right. Wars, or divisions like Pixar, or remakes or revivals of their own back catalogue. Right, okay. Like, okay. All the, like all the live action versions of their own animated versions they're yeah. doing now. Okay. And Tron was not a flop, but it did underperform. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. John Carter was a big flop. Yes. And I think that people remember them the right way round in those terms. They remember that John Carter was a big financial disaster. Even oh, yes. Though, I think even though it's not that bad a movie. No, but that, but you'd admit that that's, that, that's not the cause of flops, necessarily. No, or no, no, no. the cause of no, successes. No, but I think in, 
in artistic terms, John Carter isn't as bad as people said it was, but it did do a lot of damage to the company. Yeah, yeah. But Tron made its money back. Yeah. But, but again, for a business, that's not really it, what it they want. wasn't. It wasn't the franchise launcher that they wanted. They had uh, they were going to do sequels. There was a, an animated TV series yeah. that came and went when no one saw it, despite having an, a very impressive all star cast. Mm. It just it was to be quite good. I mean, I, Tron Uprising. Yeah, I believe. have it on uh, on disc uh, well, of, of all media appropriately enough. Well, as far as I'm aware, so again, I'm, I'm going into this completely ignorant but that in itself is, is, is one is the issue I want to talk about is that because as far as I'm aware which is not so much is that the TV series was going to talk about the ISOs and their uprising and that whole thing yes and that is certainly one of uh, those annoying issues that if if the franchise launching scheme doesn't work and doesn't land properly that you get all these things we're saying well you'll understand the story if you'd watch the Animated TV series that accompanies it, or the comic book tie-in, or something like that. Oh, I don't think I don't think that's the case in this. It's clearly a platform for more, but it's still a self-contained story. I think it has issues there, but I'm, but I'm just saying in terms of as a franchise launcher, it doesn't quite land because these different pieces, some of which were already in motion, when they then decided, well, this isn't going to turn into a, you know a three movie thing, then. That other stuff gets abandoned and or kind of isolated, I suppose. Like I, I, I don't know if you know, like a cartoon series itself could have been maintained for much longer because if they decide to pull the plug on one thing, everything else kind of goes. Yes, it couldn't really function as an isolated strand. It needed the support of the other elements. Mm. Like I've said before, you can't assume you're going to get a sequel. Uh-huh. And I think in the case of Tron Legacy. They kind of expected it and hoped that they would, but it doesn't. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, the the film doesn't feel like. Oh, you have to watch part two or part or part three, in fact, to understand what's going on. You think, oh, this you see, oh, this is so. The next movie is going to be more about that. And it's more about that. But this, on its own, it functions as a single entity. Or rather, <laughs> yeah, as, I mean, it has a start and an end to it, but it's not. Yeah. I would say it's quite. I think okay, it's, well, if the, it's difficult we to say, can... it functions as an enclosed entity. Because it's a sequel. It is a sequel to a film that came out 28 years earlier. Yeah. And that's one of the... I think one of the few problems is (laughs) trying to deal with that for an audience that hasn't seen the original. Yeah. Because the original is quite a slight movie. So is this? No, it's not. Do do you mean in terms of story or do you mean in In terms of... The original is a very straightforward, not very complicated... Adventure story. So is this? This has much more depth to it, and I think you're doing a disservice. The story, he, he goes into the computer world, he goes somewhere, he goes back. Well, actually, he goes to a slightly different place, and he goes home. Now, okay, fair enough, there is... better, a million stories around that idea, but it's not... Yeah, I don't think it has that much depth With to With that it. description, you're leaving out all the detail. He meets his dad, he battles an evil version of his dad, he does some computer stuff, a ghost leaves a ghost, our a ghost house. Comes into the house. <laughs> well, it is Christmas. Uh, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, okay. All right. Okay. Let, let's get into. It. Let's let's jump into. It. You can boil right. it down to its bare elements, but there is there's much more going on. Okay. The movie starts with narration from Kevin Flynn, played mm-hmm. by Jeff Bridges, of 
what he imagined the inside of a, a digital landscape to be like. When he was building computers and designing software, what did he think it'd be like? And then one day he got in. And as he's telling us, these digital lines weave across the screen yeah. and resolve into city streets, which is the reverse of the ending of the first movie. Okay, where it was, but if you haven't seen the first movie, well, no, that's not gonna... that, but that doesn't matter. It's okay. It's, all it's right, a connection. Okay. If you get it, then that's fine. But if you don't, you think, oh, that's just okay. Drawing a comparison, and we move through the city streets, and our view swings around very geometrically and goes an exact straight line through the streets across the bay into Kevin Flynn's house. Yep, it's and it really very shows off, technically it, accomplished. It really shows off the director trained as an architect. Well, I think in a broad sense that's true throughout the film that there's interesting design work yeah i think so even even just in terms of the sort of use of height and things like that i think that is interesting kevin is telling the story to his young son sam yeah and in the caption we see it's it's 1989 he's telling sam about his adventures in the uh in the digital world of the grid yeah that there was clue who was his digital avatar Yes. And there was Tron, the great champion of the grid. But he has to go. It's got to go off somewhere. It's got to go off on his bike. But there are, there's, some, there's some foreshadowing there as well. Well, first, well, not so much foreshadowing, but the, the de-aging, when we finally see Kevin's face, it's Jeff Bridges looking young. Yeah. And it doesn't quite work. Interesting idea, but yeah, it's it's it it's not that it's out of sync, but it's there's a, it a sort look, of latency issue. It looks it seems slightly off in a way that's fine. Spoilers when we finally see Clue, and he's in the digital world, so it's see it's okay if there's something sort of slightly off and non-human about his appearance because he's a replica. But it is completely unnecessary, don't you think? No. No? Well, it's necessary for Clue to look young. Yes. No, it makes perfect sense, because ageing doesn't work that way in the grid. Yes, but Jeff Bridges has aged while he's just hanging around in the... Because in the Jeff grid. Bridges, because Flynn is a user, he's not a programme. Yeah, but I'm just saying, but it's still unnecessary. You don't need it to happen, because you have programmes that you know spend their lives doing things. So you can have a system where they age and die and get recycled or are born or... You can do that, but, but the, the whole point is that they're not born. Okay, that's the whole point. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if that's the idea you've come up with, that's that's they okay. Are, they are what they are, and they stay the way they are unless they are rewritten. Right. Okay. No, that's fair enough. Whereas users change, but it just means you're shackled to that idea of we're going to have to use the special effect. But I think it's a mistake to use that in the real world. Okay. I think. I mean, obviously, have him him in that scene, but. If you never saw his face, or yeah, maybe yeah, you saw him in yeah. silhouette, that, I think that might work a little better. And now tomorrow they're going to go and play in the arcade, and um, uh, Flynn throws his son a, a quarter. He says, "Oh, can we be on the same team? Oh, we're always on the same team." Yep. And it's just it's just setting everything up. It's it's schematic writing. Like the this is how you do this. This is how you write this kind of story. You set things up and you pay them off later, and it's these buildings, but it's done well, I think, because everything set up in a way that doesn't feel really forced, in a way that feels comfortable, and is then paid off really nicely. I don't know. I think it feels uh, like much more of a children's film way of doing it. 
which is not then carried on with the tone of the rest of the film. Something like that, sort of Flight of the Navigator or Princess Bride's framing device or something like that. Yeah, that, I think that's fine. But like, it's, it seems like it's a, it's, a, it's a younger film. I think maybe it's, it's taking it easy to begin with to draw the audience in. And make them that might be what they're going for, but I didn't, I didn't feel that, I felt. However, Flynn then vanishes. Yep. And um, we get a weird kind of info dump sequence where we have just TVs in a weird grey landscape delivering information. It's a very oddly designed scene. It's really a strange choice to do it like that with just these TVs popping up. And uh, Flynn had this great idea about uh, it was some idea that was going to revolutionise the world, it was going to change everything. And there's a scene where he's delivering his speech where he's saying, our, our destiny is in there. And um, Sam goes out on his BMX cycling off in a in a rage and there's a cut and he's on a motorbike and it's the present day. It's the engineering sense of the movie. Yeah. I think the yeah. the, the architect sense of just this precision design, making sure all the pieces fit perfectly together. Um but Sam in the present now in his twenties uh hacks into the security of Encop, yeah, his father's old company. And he's chased around inside by one security guard as a meeting goes on in the big boardroom upstairs and they're about to launch both the new Encom operating system and onto the stock market in Tokyo. But Sam switches out things at the last minute and the big announcement is replaced with a little video of his pet dog, his rescue dog. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for battling evil corporations as much as the next guy. But when I watched this again, I just thought, ah, oh, go away, Sam. <laughs> just go away. Just let them do their jobs. But it's what, a massive evil corporation trying to make money from well, their products. Well, well, that's the point <laughs> that it that it's it's not meant to be an evil corporation. It it wasn't always intended to be an evil corporation because it was Kevin Flynn's company, and he believed that information should be free and available. And on the board still is Alan Bradley who Tron was his digital avatar. Yeah. And he's now sort of in the in the equivalent he's fighting for Encom in the real world because he still thinks, you know, what about all the money that we're charging to schools and students for this new software? What's special about it? Oh well, we know we put a version twelve on the box. Yeah, I mean he wants things to be fair and to be decent. And he's fighting for that within the company. And Sam's fighting for that outside the company. And who is the uh, head software engineer at Encom? Jimmy Jimson. No, it's, it's Killian Murphy. It's Killian. It's an unbilled Killian Murphy. Yeah, uh, who's the son of? Oh, who's the guy? He's, he's supposed to be the son of David Warner, right? Who played uh, the villain Ed Dillinger in the original Tron? Yes. There is the there is the theme of the the movie about information being free in whatever form. Can I just double check? Is all of the grid on that one computer in the arcade? I think so. Right. That's just been running there for 30 years. Like, it all goes away if someone unplugs it. No. Well, well, it doesn't disappear. It just ceases to run. And then when the power goes back, it would start running again. Okay. All right. It's like if everyone in the world suddenly fell asleep. Yeah, but... Okay. Nobody checked it. Nobody switched it off. 
in 30 years? Well, it's Kevin Flynn. He's really rich. He's had it wired up so that there's always a power supply. Yeah, but I'm just saying people investigating his disappearance didn't go to his office. Well, they didn't find the secret passage, though, did they? You know, it was massively well disguised. Yes, of course it was. Okay. I was hoping he had to play a game and get like a certain score. <laughs> so it would just be a montage of them playing. Well, but did you think that the, the theme of information being free, did you think that was a bit odd to come in a Disney movie from a, a giant corporation like Disney? No, because it doesn't threaten them in any way. They don't commit to it. It's not a... It's like a film about protests about banks. They don't do anything that risks them even slightly. No, it doesn't matter. They're not a software company. Yes, they are. Well, they have massive software resources, but they are not... They do release software. Disney? Specifically? I'm pretty sure they do. Disney is a very big company. Oh, different divisions, yeah, but... As like, yeah, under the Disney company umbrella. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But But, uh, but but having some characters suggests that maybe... But sharing information in terms of also file sharing, digital piracy... Yeah, but they don't lean on it very much. No, they don't do anything that even remotely lays out an idea of why it's a good idea, other than just there are baddies that want to prevent it. No, I think it's the, it's the safest sort of radicalism you can think of. <laughs> Sorry, I'm shooting down your idea. Well, yeah, but, it's because you're such a bloody curmudgeon. I am, but no, it's just it's very, very safe agitation. <laughs> but Sam, having managed to get up to the roof talks the security guard out from... Oh, uh, That's a dedicated security guard. I know he, yeah, he's, he's the hero we need. He chases him up to the roof. Chases the guy out there massive. Yeah. And um, says, that, uh, it's okay, it's okay. I'm, I'm allowed to do this. It's, no, but this is... It, it's a big company. got shareholders, yeah. And who's the biggest shareholder? Some kid. Yeah. Right. Who's, but... got, who's got two thumbs as <laughs> the biggest shareholder? Yeah, but that's the point at which I, I wanted to say. That, that's not how... Businesses work. You can't just arbitrarily decide that you're going to release software. That's not how shareholding works. Even though he owns the majority of the company, I'm not saying he might not be able to force the issue through, but uh, that's that. You can't just decide I'm the biggest shareholder. I'll do what I want, including stealing things and then going up. But well, that's the point. He says you can't steal what's already yours because it belongs to the company, and he owns most of the company, so it's technically his more than anybody else's. Yes, but again, that's not. I'm not the, saying it's the right thing to do. I'm not. Uh, yes, but what I'm saying is, it's 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 a nice soundbite, but it's not. How you, I don't. I don't believe anyway that that is the correct. But that's that shows he's a red. He's a rebel. It's the, but it's the logic of the movie mm-hmm. that it's showing how they they're fighting for information to be free, and then how that develops onwards. And he escapes by skydiving off the Encom building. Yep. He gets tangled up in a streetlight and drops her and falls onto the top of a taxi. And the taxi driver bangs on the roof and says, hey, no free rides. Classic. He gets, eventually he's cornered by a police helicopter and taken off by the cops. And there's a little detail that you might miss, which is that when he gets bailed and goes out to pick his bike up from the impound lot, the security guard who owns the lot knows him by name. Oh, I did not know Because he's that. clearly done this so many times. Um, he's, he goes he goes back home where he lives in a garage. Yeah, it's a cool garage. It's a cool garage because he's a cool guy. Well, it's not even... It's, no, it's a, it's a sort of um, shipping containers. No, it's like a big... 
like a garage workshop type. Yeah, but it's made out of shipping containers. No, it's not. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, it's not. Fight, fight, fight. It's got fight. the name of of the. It's got the name over the door of the company that it used to be. It's Dumont, which is a reference to the first movie. All right, I'll concede that. And I'm also, go and check it. And it also, in turn, probably a reference further back because the Dumont network was one of the first American TV networks, and it folded in the late '40s, I think. So it's a sort of a nod back to early days of. Information transfer and broadcasting. Okay. All right, I'm going to check um, that. But he's visited by Alan. Yep. And I like their relationship. They acknowledge that after Flynn disappeared, Alan became his surrogate dad, and they would have a game of catch, and he would help him with his homework and that kind of thing because he he was like a family friend. Yeah. He had that responsibility. And I like that because the fathers and sons is a very worn trope. It's a very worn story idea. And I think that Tron Legacy does think of some original ways of handling it. And particularly it avoids the cliches. You mean what if your dad was in a computer is not cliche yet? I wouldn't say it's particularly cliche. No. <laughs> no okay. the, uh, he's just really distant. The conflict he's in a computer. The conflict that one would think would arise from that is actually it, it doesn't it, it doesn't emerge and it's not so much between Sam and, and Flynn, but between Flynn and Clue, yes, who is effectively yeah. I think his, I think certainly certainly the, that that scene with Alan they could have played it more bratty, and it was nice that they didn't. Yeah, there's there's a, there is a kind of weirdness to it, but it, he's always it's somewhat mature. Yeah, and there yeah. is there is a warmth to that. Yeah, and also Sam mentions that his dog, who had the idea for the whole thing, apparently, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, was a rescue dog, and that comes up later as well. So it's all these things that they're just little details, yeah, but they're but all picked up later on. They all become relevant, or they're all just little things that are echoed later on. Yeah, that's good writing. It's uh, accomplished writing, maybe. Yeah, in some sense, but it's quite. I don't know. It feels cynically done. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, we 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 want to disagree. No, I don't mean confidently. Because if it was. If it was just stuff coming out of the blue, then it would look slapped together. It's not subtle, is it? I think it is in some elements, in some places, because there's stuff that I've watched, noticed this time that I hadn't picked up on before. Okay. All right. Okay. But... I feel I, like I'm naysaying a lot. I, I mean, I, it, but I, I, did, I mean, I did in general quite enjoy it. <laughs> um, you, well, you said you liked all the design. I like the design. I, I like the look of it. The, the music's great. Um, We're going to talk about music. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but Alan has had a page. He's still carrying his pager around, and he's had a page from the old Flynn Arcade, yeah. which has been closed up for 20 years. And um, Sam says, well, what, what do you expect to find there? Just Dad sitting at the computer saying, oh, sorry, I lost track of time. But he decides to go and investigate anyway, because, well, he... Yeah, because I think it's it's laid out in the scene, isn't it? That Flynn told Alan to keep the pager with him. Yeah. And so clearly this is significant in some way. Yeah. So he goes to the arcade, <laughs> he turns on the power and all the video game machines come on and a jukebox starts playing Foreigner and he goes to the Tron game, puts in his quarter 
just like in just like the one he got before. I know. And it goes yeah. straight through and pops out you the see, you, like, you like this. this I like this kind I like of, this setup. This mirroring, it's, it's, it's the mechanics of it. It's Again, it's the mechanical side of it. Yeah, but you can see the mechanics. That's the thing. That's what I like. When you can see them and you're impressed by how well they work. Okay. It's like when Darren Brown does a trick and you think, wow, that's incredibly amazing. And then he explains how he did it. And it's still amazing because of the detail. Yeah, but that's someone going back and explaining it. It's not, it's not. All right, we're obviously going to keep disagreeing about this. Let's, we'll move on. Let's move on. And there are scratches on the floor where the the coins popped out again. And he realizes he can heave the whole cabinet away from the wall and there's a door behind it. Goes through the door down into the basement where he finds a secret lab covered in dust. On the wall, there's what looks like a map of the grid. And the system there is still running. The computer system is still yep. running after all these years. Again, up until this point, it's it's it still seems to be a much younger film, a much more. I mean, I suppose they couldn't have it so that child friendly. Yeah, it doesn't. I was like I was going to say like you could do it with a you could have it where it's a fifteen year old kid goes into the grid. The time wouldn't work. You know, no, time's fine, but you could have a more fun, adventurous type of thing where. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't really want to watch it, I suppose, but... Well, I think it... it you can, it could have made it more child-friendly. I think it it works that they didn't do that, that they wanted to upgrade it a bit from the original. You're so pleased with yourself about that joke. <laughs> Let's see how many more we can cram in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of an appropriate way to tell you to shut up. Okay. Okay, he goes Break. in. He goes right. He goes in. He goes. He in. gets zapped by the doohickey. He, he well, he starts fiddling around with the menu, presses go on something, yeah. and the scary, ominous laser behind him yeah. flashes, and then the whole color scheme of the movie changes. Yes. Up until that point, it's been earth, earth tones, yeah, yeah. browns, and every suddenly it's black and white and blue and silver. Yeah. And he seems to be in exactly the same place. Yes, he's just in, the, and he goes, "That's weird." Runs upstairs, runs out into the street, and suddenly he's in Blade Runner. That is good on them that they just glossed over the what is that machine? What's happening? Like they just move into it very quickly, move past the ridiculousness of the laser transporting into. You know, they've set up the that the digital world exists. We they set up the digital yeah. world exists and say, "Yeah," and the laser is the gateway. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's all you. No, it is all you need. Yeah. But that's that would be that that's a that's a potential pitfall for people to try and over explain that. Doesn't matter. Yeah. There's a thing that sends you into the digital world and the flip of that is there's a there's a there's a portal. Yeah. And if you lose you just the portal and go back home. That's fine. Again, it's like I think like a children's movie. It's kinda of, kinda of like well it's not like the never ending story, but that sort of here's a thing that does a thing and then here's the way to get home. I did think uh, at the time that it resembled the Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Without having the, the the portal to the fantasy world as well, yeah. Except instead of a wardrobe, it's a laser because it's the future. Yes, the future of the eighties. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. And um, as he's looking around at the weird sci-fi buildings and environments, there's a light shine down from above, just like before with the helicopter. And he, I think, and you can see in his eyes, he's going, "Oh, here we go again." He holds up his hands and looks up. And if you're watching this on Blu-ray. The screen expands from widescreen into IMAX shape, and we see a recognizer. 
the creepy hoop-shaped, or sort of croquet hoop-shaped flying machine. Yeah. Space Invader. Space Invader, exactly. Non-trademark Space Invader. And the music kicks in properly, and it's as if you're just now blasted into this world. Yeah, yeah. As just, as, just as Sam is now, you're fully immersed in it. And I did want to talk about the music. Okay. This is possibly my favourite film score. Yeah, it's good. I mean, yeah, Daft Punk. Never written a score before, and a lot of people were worried that they didn't really know what they were doing. Well, they made their own film, didn't they? Which nobody yes. saw. Which no, it didn't never had a proper release in cinemas. I think it's out on DVD and Blu-ray, right. Electroma. But that's not, for the most part, I don't think scored with their music. Oh, is it? They wrote okay. and directed it, but it's scored with, I think, a lot of light or easy listening type music or something like that. And there's very little of their own material oh, okay. in there. But I think it's a really terrific score. It has yeah, it's brilliant. The, uh, the recurring theme works beautifully, and it's that, that fusion of electronic and like, far, like dance style music and this, this great orchestral sound. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect, perfect fusion of all of it. I was very, very disappointed when it was not Oscar nominated because I felt that it really had deserved it because it was so fresh and original but still feeling like a, an evolution. Oh, there's some mirroring because uh, the original Tron missed out an Oscar nomination because it had too much CGI. Because they thought the computers were cheating. Yeah. This didn't have In an Oscar. 30 years' time, well, this, everything will be scored by Daft Punk. This did not have an Oscar nomination for its visual effects, which I think is staggering. Oh. Under this, I mean, given that the whole digital world was pretty much created in a computer. Yeah. Think about how that looks and how the how the environment works compared to the Star Wars prequels, where it, it really does feel like the actors are just wandering around blue screen sets. Here they always feel like real environments. I think it's a reflection on... The I mean, did, did the Star Wars prequels get nominated for visual effects? No, well, no. I'm, I'm jumping a bit there. But... Um, oh yeah, it's impressive. No, actually, no, actually, it's but the, the point is that those movies are in an artificial or filmed in an artificial environment, and they look phony. The actors look bored, and they don't yeah. feel like they're part of their environment. Whereas here, it all feels like a perfect synthesis, because like the costume design and the the set design and the music all feels like it's part of this yeah uh, techno organic world. Yeah, and the actors really seem like they really believe what's happening. Because you have a good director, the architect is a better director of actors than the guy who went to film school. Okay, well, all right, but I mean, he is a director now. I mean, he is—he's done more than one film. He's not just an architect. He well, yeah, he's done two films now. Uh, Joseph Kaczynski has, I believe, only directed one other movie to date. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong person then. Well, well, anyway, who are you thinking of? Who did Oblivion? He did. Oh, he's definitely he's got another film to watch then. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure he's working on another one. Yeah, but that's I think no something something coming out soon. Maybe, yeah. Yes, I think he's got something coming out next year. Maybe. Well, okay. Well, anyway, he's yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't seen Oblivion, but I wasn't. I didn't look terribly interested in it. But yeah, this is much better than uh, Star Wars. Okay, I think. I mean, it's not a controversial <laughs> view that the prequels were terrible. I don't think we need oh, to. Oh no, be, all of the be, Star Wars is. All of the Star Warses. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> we might disagree on that, but okay. We might, because I'm right and you're wrong. You don't think you don't like the original trilogy? 
I didn't say I disliked it. I like it. I just think Tron Legacy is better. Oh, oh man. It's okay. clearly a much better film. Uh, right. I'm not joking. Okay, that's weird. So, as he's caught in the, the, the searchlight from the recognizer, the ground falls away from underneath him until he's, it's all in hexagon shapes and all the, the area around him falls away so it's just his little hexagon. And he's picked up by the guards, his feet are clapped in ions. See, it's... I should be hosting Phil 2016, not Camilla Long. Um, she not know. on the strength of that joke. She didn't think that uh, boys would go and see the Hunger Games movies. And this was in a review of the last Hunger Games movie. I think you don't appreciate how bad that joke was, though. <sighs> Look, we can't... I'm not saying be... you should be in the Hig, but... <laughs> we can't all be Colin Mockery and, and Ryan Stiles, can we? Who? Oh, great improv comedians. <laughs> okay, go. Cool. Okay, yeah. But the, the, the recognizer takes off and flies to the city and you get this, the view of this incredible cityscape. Yeah, it's like Shanghai or Tokyo all mixed together, crossed with Blade Runner. It looks amazing. All this this black and neon, and it's extraordinary. And there's another guy who's uh, uh, next to Sam in the line who's panicking about being sent to the games. They're delivered to a central area, and they're all divided up. Some are being sent off to to be rectified, and some are sent to the games. And the the guy who's going to be sent to the games panics and he makes a run for it and he jumps down a hole into some fans yep. and he shatters at the bottom. And I don't think they ever say the word in the movie but in the original they refer to death in that way as being derezzed. I'm pretty sure doesn't the games announcer refer to people being derezzed? Or maybe they do. I, I don't recall. Definitely one of the tracks of the soundtrack. One of the soundtracks remember. is called yeah. derezzed, yeah. yeah. That was the single. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm, yes. I'm yes, not sure it was right. a good idea to release a single from it, but... That was a fine dance strike. Yeah, but it's less than two minutes long. Get in, get out. Have a quick dance. Have a quick dance. And you dance as furiously as you need to. Yeah. Time doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm You saying. speak from experience, I hope. A furious two-minute dances, yeah. <laughs> not many people can handle me dancing for more than two minutes. Yeah, they asked me to stop, which I believe... Is because they're so overwhelmed. But uh, Sam is get, descends to the floor through a lift into a dressing room, which is actually uh, the, the soundtrack. It's called an armory, where he is outfitted with his new his clothes are sort of cut off him, and a new digital skin grows over him with armor that's fitted on, and his memory disc. Yep. And the uh, his his female helpers all move in unison. I like, I like the the choreography of that. They all move in perfect unison. Yep. Uh, and they explain also that the disc is equivalent to memory. It holds everything that you are. Yes. The costumes, these grid costumes, actually included internal lighting. Yeah, yeah. It's quite popular now, that, that sort of LED strip they, lighting. They got very hot and they could actually only have them on for about five minutes at a time before they got too hot to wear. Yeah, completely. Just chuck some ice cubes down them. They can't. They're, they're too tight. That's the point. They're, I mean, it's all skin tight because all they right. don't really have skin. That's that's their skin. What happens? 
when Olivia Wilde comes back into the real world? The rules are different. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, there we go. It's more of a magic thing. It's like... Um, Again, I think at this point there's still it's like oh this is a good I think it's younger age film. I think it's more like Clark's Law, that uh, a sufficiently advanced form of technology is indistinguishable from magic. Okay, we know we do see that uh, in users when they're on the grid still bleed. Yeah, but programs don't. So presumably and they must have wondered. I mean, one of the one of the sort of the dressers says, "Oh, he's different." Yes, he's turned up <laughs> with our memory disc and uh, wearing completely different clothes. The memory disc is detachable, so you can you can have programs running around without them. It's just not a good idea. Yeah, all right. But also, as we find that the memory disc has other uses than just being yeah storage. It's also a weapon. Yeah, it's an exciting good job. Take out your brain and throw it at someone. So that's a good way of. I mean, it's shows commitment. Yeah, and then. Sam goes out to a bright light and realizes he's taking. There's a whole. Oh, this is exciting! <laughs> uh, it, he's in one of a, a whole group of glass enclosures. Yeah. That are revolving around in midair in this huge arena, and they're going to fight in the disc wars for the entertainment of the masses, as a figure in a huge vessel floating overhead watches and he's all in his orange because orange is the colour of evil yes on the grid blue light blue is well, the uh, orange of... into red into yellow because he's he's more yellow than the others the others are more orange I think they're supposed to all be the same colour no no when you see them beside each other there's he's, he stands out he's more yellow oh like a coward okay take that clue yeah well oh, don't spoil it I really wanted Clue to be played by uh, Bull Bridges. Oh, that would be well. That would have been great. That, 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 well, first, slash terrible. It would have been terrible. No, but it would also have been great though. And it would, but it wouldn't make sense because the whole point is that Clue is meant to be a, a digital copy of. Yeah, but Kevin. it would still have been fun. I mean, they might as well have just had like a digital version of Louis Bridges. Like, oh, have... this is going to be the week that I quit. Taking digital glue, they could have done all sorts of things. <laughs> it would have been better than. And they could possibly. have had uh, Johnny from Airplane playing uh, Zeus. Now you just get Come on, they almost do. We'll get to that as well. All right. Um, so there's the big gladiatorial fight with using the the discs like mega frisbees, and if you get chopped up by one, then it's game over. Yep. See, there's another one there. Um, and it takes him a few moments to figure this out. But he manages to escape from his little cube yeah. through a hole in the floor that gets smashed. And uh, he winds up competing in the final against the champion player. Rin- Rinsler! Rinsler. Who gets two discs. He had, yeah, he has And two. although it's jokingly said that that's unfair, that is unfair. Well, yeah, because the deck is deliberately stacked against Ooh. the challengers. Yeah, Ooh. it is unfair. But again, there's a reason for that that comes up later on. Ooh. You know why he's called Rinsler? Because um, it sounds cool. He's actually named after the author of the making of Star Wars books. Ah, His great big coffee table books published over the last few years. 
Um, cool. About the making of the original Star Wars trilogies. Jimmy Rinsler. J.W. Rinsler. J.W. Rinsler. That's, it's a good name. It's a great name. Yeah. But uh, they decided that his name was so called like Kaiser Sose. Okay. Because um, Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote The Usual Suspects, met someone called Kaiser Soon and thought, wow, that's a really great name. And they changed it slightly so that they could use it in the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's Yeah, Rinsler definitely sounds great. like uh, somebody that should be a, inside a computer. Mm. It sounds like a computer word. Yeah. But they have a, a very elaborate fight, and Rinsler manages to get the upper hand at the last minute, but notices that Sam has been cut yeah. and is bleeding. And he says, ah, user. As he doesn't stand, he's wearing, he's wearing a mask. Because he can't see who he is. Is it secretly Bo Bridges? He's not secretly Bo Bridges. Damn. Bo Bridges is not in this film. Or is he? Well, it would be great if he was like an extra or something. The director of the original Tron does have a cameo. Oh. He plays the bartender at the end of Line Club. Oh, right. Okay. He's the one who is a bit older than everyone else and has a moustache and is a little bit out of shape. That's what you want from a bartender. Exactly, but it just seems where everyone else in the movie is all whippet thin and mostly sort of young looking, and he's like the only middle aged guy on the grid. <laughs> and the only one with a moustache. All right. And of course, the DJs in the end of line club. Yes. Are Daft Punk wearing Tron outfits and helmets they had made themselves. Oh, okay. <laughs> at their own expense. Well, that's their thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Not, but not just their, their their robot outfits, but Tron versions of their robot outfits. But um, Sam is taken up onto the the floating vessel, and he's introduced to the uh, the watching figure, and it's it's Flynn himself, in fact. Yeah. Who's been stuck in there all these years, and but he's in charge of the whole place. But he's but he's he not seems, Flynn. He seems he seems strangely cold and cruel and Sam realises that it isn't his father at all it's Clue um, and that Clue wants to get rid of Sam and is going to do so like in uh, gladiatorial times by fighting against him in the arena in a game of light cycle just like in ancient Rome just like in ancient Rome on motorbikes yep I mean the motorbikes I mean it's cool it is cool and again it's uh, Again, it's borrowed from a scene in the first movie. The gimmick there that I liked is that the bikes would turn at right angles. Yes. Ex- exactly without yes. cornering. They would just go... And yep. change. Yeah. See, if you could see what I was doing, listener, that would make a lot more sense. That wouldn't just be a noise. It would be like a digital fart. But here, no, they, they, they move like little motorbikes, but they still have that ribbon of yes. solid light coming out of the back, which looks so exciting. It's like the most. That's cool. It's yeah. like the most high tech version of Snake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all it's all brilliant looking. Yeah, and it's a great, exciting sequence. That that whole not chase exactly, but like race against death. Yeah, yeah. With Clue and some of his henchmen versus Sam and a few other hapless. Yeah, they've got better bikes, and it's, it's all yeah. cheaty. Well, I like when um, they first handed these sticks. Sam doesn't know what to do with this, so he holds it like it's a lightsaber. Yes. <laughs> and even the way it's handed to him by uh, James Brain 
Is it Frayne or Frey? James Frayne as, Frayne as Jarvis. Clues. Just sort of holding it away. Yeah. I mean, he's wasted in this film. It's a nice little supporting role. He gets to Yeah, but he's, he's, he's good. And, uh, he, has, he has some nice little character bits, I think, during the course of the movie. It just sort of indicates, oh, sort of indicates no, he's, he's, like. he's so one-dimensional. No, he's no, sort of like snivellingly, cowardly, underling. Yeah, he's he's loyal to whoever is in charge. Yeah, yeah, but it, uh, okay. I just I was watching him thinking, oh, you're great. He's very <laughs> you're not. This is not great for you, but you're good. But Clue runs along. He leaps into the air. His stick breaks into two in his hand, and it turns into the handlebars of a motorbike as it forms around him out of yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's and cool. as he hits the ground and zooms off, it is and cool. It's, it is it's, cool. Again, this. Uh, I think if I was ten years old, I, I would be slack jawed. I mean, I, I think I was watching this a couple of weeks ago, and I was slack jawed. And I've seen this movie three okay. times already. All right. You know what you remind me of? <laughs> <laughs> Clue. <laughs> the board game. Years ago, on do you remember Movie Drone? No, it was a not exactly late night, but sort of Sunday night strand BBC Two of cult movies or sort of unusual, slightly obscure, interesting movies. Okay, and they would have an introduction by originally it was Alex Cox, the filmmaker, and then it was Mark Cousins. And one of the movies they did, I remember, was The Fog, John Carpenter's ghost story. You think I'm a ghost pilot? And he said, as he was talking about the movie, that you know, it's it's not very deep and it doesn't really make sense, but if you just kind of go with it, it works. And that's the thing about Carpenter's movies. You have to want to be spooked. You have to want to join in with yeah, it. Yeah, okay. And you don't seem like you want to be spooked. No, no, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, I've got to provide a bit of a counter to you. We can't just agree that it's amazing. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I think it becomes very serious quite quickly. Yeah, I just, I just think it maybe doesn't have quite as much joy as it would be. I think it is quite hard to relax into and sort of decide to go with it and think, oh, this is just cool. I mean, we can I disagree think, with that. That's yeah, fine. It's, think, it just depends. It, it might just come down to personal taste. Yeah, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's quite easy to settle into, quite easy to buy into this world in a way that, say, I didn't easily with Avatar, which was also the Christmas weekend movie, same weekend of the year, the year before, where it was entering into this fantastic... World. Yeah. I've never seen Avatar. Really? It just seems so patently rubbish from the adverts and from everything anyone was saying about it. I just thought. But I feel that it's worth seeing it for yourself so that you have your own opinion of it. Like there are films that I've. I've seen me clips of it and it, it, it seems so paper thin that. But you should give it a go. Alright, okay. I'll add it At the to very the least. I'll add it to the list. Do I mean, usual... it's going to be quite far down. Do my usual thing and just watch the first half hour and if you like it, watch a bit more. And if you don't like it, say, well, I watched the first half fair and it was rubbish. Okay. Like I did with Godfather Part 2. Okay, that's insane. <laughs> that is insane. I mean, the thing, I mean, I'm not really criticising. Well, no, I am. I, don't, I, I, I criticise Avatar okay, I mean, on this podcast. Okay. But, I mean, I do appreciate... But Well, okay, like that, I, I mean, I do appreciate that James Cameron is interested in doing different things. It's possible that actually... <laughs> maybe he's wasting his time being a, a filmmaker of any sort. Maybe he should just go and do cool stuff. Uh, but in the same way, Tron, it, it is doing something different. I can understand why they thought, well, if we really get this right, we can launch a franchise because it's a it's a different world and it's not. We don't have to go into space and we don't have to necessarily go to tread over old ground, even though it is a sequel to an old film. The idea of a digital world, if we get that sorted, this is a good sandbox to play. And, and it's not, even though it's not an original idea because it's a sequel. 
It's something that no one else is doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see. And, and as I say, I was interested in, when it was coming out. I was certainly excited at the time. I thought this is absolutely worth seeing, and it absolutely is worth seeing in a cinema or in a, as big a screen as you can get it. Yes, because I, it, I it is a visual feast. If you if you're able to see it in IMAX, then I I would highly recommend that. One one of my few 3D related regrets is that I didn't see this in 3D, because a lot of it was shot in native 3D. I can't remember whether I did or not. I really can't. That's why I had to trek halfway across London in my weakened condition <laughs> to find somewhere that was showing it in 2D. Self-inflicted, self-inflicted. No, it wasn't. <laughs> okay, well, I think then one of the issues is that if you like the aesthetic, you'll be okay spending time with it. If it doesn't grab you, there's two hours of that. Yeah. So in the same way that any time you set up something that's so strongly of a particular look, well, yeah, it dates. It dates. Not not because it becomes old-fashioned, but because... The style dates. The, the style becomes sort of locked in. So in the same way that The Matrix is still... That's all consistent. It's fine. But it, The Matrix films look not necessarily aspirational or anything like that. Because when The when the Matrix first came out, lots of people were thinking, oh, you know, the look of it was cool, but kind of almost cyberpunky and and But just even the clothes and things. So that was of the fashion yes. for a while. And then that goes away. Now, people do make LED lighting uh, clothes and things like that, so there is a sort of smaller subculture, I suppose. Um, but again, it's just that idea of once you define something like that, that colour palette, all that sort of stuff, that locks that in, and as you move beyond that, just in terms of time. I guess I'm not saying anything unusual there. I'm just saying that up until even last year, there's still talk of them doing another film yes. and things like that. And... I think maybe enough time had passed that regardless of anything else, you'd have to do something different because you couldn't present that look again. It wouldn't be it would be new. It would have to be an evolution again. Yeah. Because of the way Or the story would have to be brilliant. I think one of the key elements in the movie is that time works very differently. That perceived time passes much faster on the grid than it does in the real world. Yes. So the whole environment has evolved between the first two movies. So again, if there, it, especially now, it would be at least nine years between Tron Legacy and a, and a third one. Yeah, There would be all that amount of time in which the grid had evolved again. So it would be another permutation. Oh yes, they, they, they've anyway. absolutely, yes, they've absolutely got a sort of built-in reason for it. Almost made a Doctor Who reference. We have too many Doctor Who references in this. But yeah, it, it allows it to evolve and stay fresh, I think. Yeah, it's just that, again, that idea of if you're comfortable with what they're presenting, that's great. But if you weren't, you won't, you won't be able to put up with the film. I did have an idea of what they could do for a third movie. Okay, well, we'll do, let's do that at the end. Let's do that at the end. But yeah, I mean, I, the environment I find interesting and I find engaging because it's it's totally alien and yet it's populated by characters that you can communicate with whereas in avatar it's space jungle yeah okay all right and i don't want to live in the jungle you do want to live in a computer yeah but it's a city and i'm a city person all right fair enough i'm a town mouse all right at the last moment after the big battle and the light cycles sam is rescued when a big truck drives through the wall <laughs> and um gets in and it drives away and uh, off the grid 
into the, out into the outlands. That's a great. Yeah. And the driver turns out to be a woman. Yes. Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde playing Cora. Now, she had a hand in refra- not exactly rewriting, but I think reframing the way the character was written because she didn't like the way Cora had originally been conceived, making her much more of a mix of action woman and, on the other side, having a kind of naivete about the, the outside world, shall we say. Okay. I think that works extremely well. It's, it makes her more fully rounded, I think, as a character, because she has those contradictory elements. What do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If she'd just been Flynn's companion and there'd been nothing else to it, then mm. yes, it would be a bit flat. And the relationship between her and Sam as well, I think, is extremely well handled. Uh, it's very... It's not exactly subtle, but it's they've thought through every relevant interaction. So there's never any th- never anything overtly romantic between them. No. It's just inferences and dialogue, you know, exchange of glances, never anything physical or verbal explicitly. It's just you yeah. but you can just tell what's going on. Yeah, I mean it's, it's And it makes it much more real, I think, because it's not hitting you over the head with it. It just feels like a more natural evolution out of the story. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's kind of like a quest film because he has to then get back. Oh, he has to make contact with the dad. He has to then get back somewhere. There's a kind of Johnny quest element. But the quest is not... There's not a sort of save the princess moment, really. He, I mean, he helps, and there's a few bits where they have to get each other out of trouble. But yeah. it's not I'm off the rest... Like, she's in prison now, and I've got to go and rescue her. And that's the point of the film. Yeah. And that's why she never needs rescuing. He rescues her. So uh, She rescues him. At least twice during yeah. the course of the movie. Yeah, they ha- yes, they help each other out. But it's more balanced. It's yeah, good, well done. And it reverses the uh, gender conventions of these sorts of things as well, because normally the uh, the mentor's protege falls in love with the princess. Yes. And here it's switched around. Yeah. No, it's the mentor's protege falls in love with the mentor's daughter. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. And here the genders are reversed, so that makes it. They just basic this for the one switch, and it just everything feels fresh and renewed. Okay. Yes. So Cora takes him to this distant citadel, where waiting for him is Flynn. Yep. And he's now an old man. Yeah. Yes. Jeff Bridges has aged thirty Jeff, years. Jeff Bridges has aged thirty years, but on the grid, where time works so much faster. Oh yes, it's it's, centuries. A, it's a thousand years. Okay, because it's got, it's got a nice house though. He does have a nice house, but he can't leave it. Mm. He can't. He can't go on the grid because then Clue would know where he is, and Clue is after his disc because that holds the key to getting off the grid and getting out of the uh, portal. So there's the father son reunion, and there doesn't seem to be blame um, because Kevin's been trapped in there. Um, you think Sam would, in some way, he'd rail against his father, he'd blame him for walking out on him like that, mm. and he never does. The, the, yeah, there's, there's, there's no there's real not... sense of reconciliation because they weren't ever really estranged, they were just separated. Uh, yeah, again, they avoided him acting sort of bratty. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite sort of measured, which makes a change, I suppose. And uh, he also, I think it's the, the clunkiest bit of foreshadowing, he also has an old light runner. 
that he keeps in the corner of the room. Uh, yeah. And I, I did feel that bit reminded me of 2001 because the whole, his little sort of apartment, it has these underlit uh, yes, flagstones. The, the white and the sort of um, Baroque. And, bar- uh, and Baroque furnishings. Yeah. And there's, there's this pod-like yes. thing in the corner of the room. And he's got all these books along the shelves. And um, he's been reading about philosophy. And, and he's been also, he's been teaching Cora. And Cora's been reading. And she said, oh, he's... My my favourite is Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Does she say it's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea? I think she just says uh, Jules Verne. Jules Verne, like Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Oh, I didn't. I not remember that. I said, "Oh, do, do you do you know Jules Verne?" I said, oh, yeah, yeah. What's he like? Again, if that had been a fifteen-year-old kid talking to another fifteen-year-old kid, that would be more fun. But the fact that it's an adult saying it, it's an adult acting like a child, which I think is. Weird. More, no, it's it's like the, like Laurel and Hardy. It's adults acting like children, which is, is funnier than children acting like children. And then later, when they're having dinner, Cora holds her wine glass by the stem in her fist, the way a child does, because she's not used to these modes of behaviour. She's child of the grid, as we find out a little later. She actually is from within the grid itself. She's not. Yeah. She's not an outside creation. Yeah. So she's mature in some ways in terms of being a bodyguard and a protector. And um, other other things, but she still has that naivety and that that lack of worldliness. Yeah, yeah, yes. What was the next one I've written? Oh, yes. and Flynn has, le- has been reading about Eastern philosophy, uh, in particular selflessness, which which again comes up later on. Do you feel that Jeff Bridges' performance is a bit too dudish? Well, that's just what he's like. <laughs> By all accounts, I mean he's just he's like that. He don't, well, yes. I also don't think he cares enough about Tron to act any other he way. He didn't have to do this movie. Uh, no, but I think he turned up in his pyjamas and uh, some bits. I think he... He does all the clue stuff. Yeah, yeah, but no, but oh, okay, right, okay, yeah. You're right, he, I mean, I suppose he doesn't have this movie other way. Wants to he did it to because watch. he loved Tron. Do you think? A lot of the people who made this movie did it because they loved Tron. Daft Punk loved the original. Michael Sheen loved the original. Joseph Kaczynski loved the no, original. No, no, okay, that's fine. But I, I just think Jeff Bridges might have sort of thought, I'm, I'll do this, but I'm, I'm going to do it kind of... I don't want to be straining myself doing this. I want to I want to have a comfortable time doing this. Well, yeah, um, well, most of it, like he's Kevin Flynn, he's playing his own age, so he's not doing anything too strenuous. Yeah, yeah. And when he's Clue, anything that's too strenuous... You can get a stunt guy to do it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because we're going to replace his face anyway. Yeah. But all the, all yeah, the, all just the, think, the facial think, movements, that's all Jeff Bridges. No, no, I know, I know. But uh, yeah, I just think uh, that is a bit like what Jeff Bridges is like. He's just a bit sort of. Yeah, but uh, like the same year, actually, I, I checked this. A week later, he had a movie that was also made nearly 200 million at the US box office True Grit. I haven't seen it. I mean, I've seen the trailers and things. They are, I believe, apart from Iron Man, they are his two highest grossing movies, and they were released a week apart. Mm. His next highest grossing film, the remake of King Kong, the nineteen seventy six. Oh right, okay, King okay. <laughs> Sorry, just because there's another one coming out, and there's the Peter oh, Jackson God, yeah, one. Oh there's, yeah, there's four versions of King well, Kong. Well, the new one, I mean, at least might put an interesting spin on it. They're not just doing the same story again. No. I think the 70s version of King Kong is a definite cinema limbo candidate because it's my favourite version of that story. Okay. 
Is it underrated though, do you think? Yeah. It consistently gets one star whenever it's in the Radio Times. Does it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe it's because the monkey looks really, really awful because it's a guy in a suit. Okay. Apart from in one shot where they built a giant full-size robot Kong and it looks like a robot. It looks absolutely right. terrible. Well, that's for another time. <laughs> let's, let's press on with Strong that's, Legacy. That's a great We're going to rush to the portal. As they have dinner, Kevin explains in, in flashback how he came to be trapped inside the grid. He and Clue and Tron were trying to build a perfect utopia, a perfect digital system. But as they worked, isomorphic algorithms appeared, a form of self-generating programs. So they were sentient digital life forms coming from within the system itself and were not programs created from outside. And that was the thing, that was the breakthrough. The idea of intelligent life coming from within a computer system. Yeah. And it was at that point that he realised that the control and the order that he wanted from a, a perfect system didn't matter. It was completely meaningless. Because the idea of this evolution from within the system was so much more important and so much more powerful because he hadn't thought of it before because he didn't even realise it was possible. Clue, however, was created to build the perfect system. And there's a scene where Kevin and Tron are talking and Clue says in the distance, Am I still to build the perfect system? And Kevin does says... He do, does he do it that way? Well, he's saying it from far away. Oh, okay. And Kevin says, Yeah? <laughs> in a very Jeff Bridges way. And at that point, he attacks and he takes over the grid. Yeah. And Tron fights a valiant rearguard action. Uh, he grabs a disc off another guard and fights off the guards with two discs as Kevin makes a run for it. But unfortunately, he can't get back to the portal and he's trapped inside, along with the last surviving ISO because Clue had all the others wiped out because they weren't part of his perfect system. Yeah, well, don't live in the same tower block as everybody else in your... Well, they were, they'd been corralled in there because, you know, they have to have their own special ghettos. Mm. He's virtually Hitler. He is virtually Hitler, yeah. He's a baddie. He's, he's virtual, you see. No, I, I'm just ignoring them now. <laughs> I'm just going right past them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try dropping one that's so subtle. Don't worry, don't worry, sooner or later I'll control break you. <laughs> Got a million of them, folks. Oh, dear. Not one of these is written down, incidentally. These are all off the top of my head. Yeah, that's so they can't be used as evidence against you. <laughs> uh, I've lost the thread of the story a bit. Clue plans to uh, use Sam to lure Kevin out yeah. by putting him on the grid. That was the whole reason of putting him in the games. But the only way that Clue can be killed is by reintegrating him with Kevin. And that would probably kill both of them. Is it the only way he can be killed? It's, well, the, it's the guaranteed way to kill him. It's the way to kill him inside the grid. Outside the grid, if Sam escapes, he can just delete Clue like a, like a program. Yes. And he says it's a couple of keystrokes. All I have to do is get outside. Cora gives him some help and says, there's someone who might be able to help if you want to get outside, if you want to fix this. And that's Zeus. He was someone who helped us yeah. when we were starting out. We don't know that she's an ISO yet, though. We don't find that out for a while. No. So he takes the uh, the old light runner and goes back to the city. 
as security guards watch. And again, it's a replay of the scene earlier in the movie when he was pulling up to the Encom building and the security guard was watching. This time he's pulling into the city and one of Clue's guards is watching. And he meets up with Jem from the armory and she takes him to the end of Lion Club. Yeah. Which is run by Caster, who is Zeus's contact. Caster is played by Michael Sheen and he's really Michael Sheening it up. Uh, I found, on this go-round, I found that unbeatable. <laughs> I remember when I was in the cinema, or I rather, I don't really remember it in the cinema. It obviously didn't really resonate one way or the other. But I found every moment that he was on screen in this just knuckle-chewingly not good. Well, it's not the same. Michael Sheen, I mean, he's a good actor. I'm not knocking I just, this, I, I was... Not having fun supposedly, supposedly, he based some of his performance on David Bowie. Oh, yeah, oh, it's I don't think it's subtle. I don't think it's so much David Bowie, it feels a lot more Richard O'Brien. I think that's what he's ended up with. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's sort of it's Ziggy Stardust Bowie. It's yes, you know, he's swinging for the fences and he's in, he's in a different movie. <laughs> he does feel like he's in, a, a, and, and also, also, that sort of um club owner, he knows everything and is a bit sort of he's not camp or fae he's just, I, I don't know There's flamboyant. Yes, he's doing something that I just feel like I've seen before although off the top of my head I can't tell you what, but I just didn't want him to be on screen anytime he was on screen. <laughs> I, I like his performance, it's different, it adds a different and it's changing up the energy of the movie I feel. Yeah, but I think that just means he just Seems like he's wandered in to the, from a different film, but you don't want it to feel the same all the way through. You want no, no, no. That's that, that, that's true. But I just think it just seems like he is not in the right. Like he didn't rehearse with any of them. Well, that's what I like that he's that there's such a big contrast between everyone else, and then he's like, oh, yeah, and everyone's like, okay, you're crazy, and and there's over the top loony, all right. and he and Michael Sheen just gets to. I imagine do whatever he wants. Yeah. Michael Sheen is very funny, I think, when he's... It makes a change from him, because all his other movies, he's either playing a real person, or a vampire, <laughs> or in the case of David Frost, both. Okay. That was good. I, I like that. I like that. But, saving okay. But, yeah, that's... Okay. Fair enough. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not knocking Michael Sheen himself. No, 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 no. But, but, but it's, it's nice to see him in something where he can just cut back, cut, cut loose to say, right. Oh, I don't know. I think I... that's just an indulgence. I mean, I don't think he's got a job to do. And he's doing it. it. He's doing something. <laughs> just listen to Nails on a chalkboard. As Kevin and Cora follow Sam into the city, Clue, Jarvis, and some guards have come the other way. And they explore the alien environment of Flynn's house. And I like that scene where they're, they're finding all these objects and they don't really understand what they are. Like Jarvis picks a book off a shelf and sort of looks at it as if it's this mm. strange alien thing. And, one, and I think he also knocks something off, knocks a glass off a table. Yeah. And he just freezes and Clue looks at him and he's just frozen in place, looking guilty, hovering over the broken glass. I like the scene because it, it shows... Clue's frustration because he doesn't comprehend because he can't change he can't evolve he has only this one directive 
to create the perfect system. And it doesn't allow for change. It doesn't allow for evolution. Yeah, yeah. It only allows conformity. So all these objets d'art and books and sort of bits of design that, that Flynn has in his home, it's just alien to him. Yeah, yeah. And he's furious yeah. that he doesn't understand it. Back at the end of line, Caster reveals, perhaps it's not surprisingly, that he is in fact Zeus himself, but that he has in fact sold out Flynn and uh, their attack from above. Yeah, I like the little sort of uh, battle troopers. That yeah. That's cool. He says that he used to believe in the users, but not anymore. Because they were, as were to gods, they're their creators. Yeah. And um, they've kind of evolved beyond that. Because they now have Clue controlling them. Clue controls the grid. And he's sort of stamped out the notion of the, of the users being in charge in any way. Mm. He set himself up as a demagogue. Does that sound like anyone you know? Me? No, not you. There's one thing that you haven't done. I control London. Well, I was thinking of some you know, uh, a despotic demagogue type person in the modern world whom we might know who is also associated with the colour orange. <laughs> Cora arrives and like, fights, but she gets her arm chopped off. Which doesn't result in her just dying completely because she's got hero powers. Well, no. With because, lots of armor. Well, having your arm chopped off isn't fatal. Uh, I mean, most of the time it would be. Not necessarily. And also bear in mind that this is the digital world and they don't bleed. Yeah, but and just, you know, any other impact. It's, it's damaged. To, to a minor character. It's damaged. Co- they explode. Well, when we see people getting chopped in half, that's fatal. Or getting shot in the head. It's if there's irreparable damage to their code, because that's what their structure is. While all this is going on, Zeus is dancing in the background. I know. Um, <laughs> just... But then Flynn it down, Michael. Come on. But then Flynn arrives and he turns the tide instantly by just slamming his hands against the floor. And they manage to escape, but not before uh, Rinsler grabs Flynn's disc. Yeah. I do think that the, the sort of the Jeffries uh, is arriving and the sort of the change mm. is quite cool, but it's the only time it really happens. And so there's, it feels like oh, there should be more of, you know, it's like Gandalf revealing the extent of his power. He's not just a sort of shambling old man. Well, you only need it to happen once. I, I don't know. I just think it doesn't quite have the impact. Like if he'd rewritten the bar or something like that. or Well, he does rewrite a program later in the movie. You no, know, no, he does. But, I, but I'm just like if he'd arrived at the bar and the bar reshaped or something like that. And then because uh, Clue then destroys the bar, it would be more of an excuse of he's now destroying something of Flynn's. Like if Flynn just showed that he had almost godlike powers. Mm. Yes, I see what you mean. But you, the problem with godlike powers is they're quite hard to defeat. So there has to be some kind of limit there for Clue to still gain the upper hand. Yeah, but that's the thing. I think it could, you could have had more sort of climactic battle at the end. I see. Well, if, you had a bat, if you'd had some sort of fight there between Clue and Flynn in that sequence, and then that would be set up for the climax at the gate where they encounter, themselves, encounter each other. Uh, but I think the, the, the issue is that they've got to get slightly ahead of them. They've got to get away and ahead. Yes. And yes. then Clue's got to catch up. Or in fact, actually, the, the thing that is quite good that I couldn't really, I didn't really remember it happening in this way when I, when I originally watched it, and so a bit of a pleasant surprise is they get the way the train gets di- diverted and they, that 
holding station, that conversion place, and yeah. the sort of what I'm trying to say, the launching area for the invasion, as would be rectifier. Yeah, I like the fact that that's the bit where you know Flynn says, "Well, this isn't supposed to be here," and that's you know there's something different about that that, that area, but you've got to have those them arrive there that little twist of the knife. So I don't know. I don't think you could have a showdown quite like that. Whereas maybe you could have had a fight with Rinsler, that revelation. So what could have happened is Clue is sending people out to different places and Rinsler's the one that goes to the end of the line club and maybe some other people go to different places. So Clue's not there. You could have had a showdown with Rinsler. That resolves itself. And then you, you're still holding Clue back with, say, more power so that at the end, when there's the, then you could have a, had a sort of climactic battle. Right. But also it would sound like Clue becomes isolated. I see. His forces are sort of slowly whittled away during that climax. He has all his various forces that are sort of picked off one by one until he's the only one left standing. Yes, but but, but that's the thing. I think you could make it clear that he was much more desperate at the end. So you could have him be completely unhinged and sort of willing to destroy things. and You know, it could, could all rush towards more of a climax. Well, that's the thing. He can't be too unhinged because the point is that he works on very strict lines. His thinking works on very simple roots. Okay. And if, if the villain oh, if the villain's crazy, then I think, well, then... That's no, 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 not crazy necessarily, but you can have that thing of uh, chaos and order. You could ha- you can have Flynn having to change things to get them to the portal. or you know, you know, you could have things where he can manipulate the environment, like the portal itself is isolated, the, the bridges withdraw or something, and that's Clue doing that, saying, oh, now he can't reach it. And then, so Flynn recreates something, and then, and then Clue's trying to shut that down, and that's how it becomes a battle between those two, right. basically, at the end. Because although Rinsler has an arc which kind of, he in some sense, redeems himself and falls into the water in a really obvious, he'll be back for the sequel if we get one kind of way, I think you could shift that to the end of the line club rather than it all taking place, they get away, Clue no. turns up, they just blow it up. No, you can't have the henchmen get killed off too early. It makes them look too weak. No, but that's the thing. You, you have to stagger it. Yes, but you can you can have a an action confrontation and they get away, but it's oh I'll, I'll get you next time or oh, I'm oh, glad we got away that time. So it could be that they there is there is a, a fight between them, but it, it ends in a stalemate. Well, okay, and, and that it's and that it's not satisfactory for either of them. Okay, but an, an alternative way would be he has a fight with Rinsler. It t- really takes it out of him to defeat him. Yeah. And then that reinforces the idea or or you know, you could even have Coral whatever's you know, saying at some point when they're on the train, it's like it's clear that if he reintegrates with, with Clue, it will kill him. It's, you know, right. You could you could reinforce the idea of you know, because they sort of say, Oh, it might kill him and, and that so there's a bit of tension there and there's a bit of a reason why he hasn't pursued this to its end game. But you could have a thing where he's it or oh, it's this is going to kill him. Right. So that's the point where he accepts I'm going to save Sam and save the, the, the grid. It doesn't really mean anything to defeat Zeus because he's so annoying. No, but because he's very quickly revealed as a villain and he's he's a sort of obstacle. But we're, you're far enough into the movie that if you defeated Rinsler at that point, or even saved Rinsler so that Rinsler comes back right at the climax to, to save. It's what's dramatically satisfying. I think to get rid of the henchmen or to, to neutralise them as a threat when the movie's only about two-thirds of the way through, it needs to, it needs to be kept up to the end. So it's sort of almost like the, um, the Joseph Campbell thing about the way these stories... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the, the, last, the, the last few steps are the hardest, 
defeating the yeah okay the villains champion and then yeah the I, I just just for me it just meant, meant that the end of the line club bit just felt like a thing that had to happen like just oh we need a new location we need to get them onto the train so if maybe there had been more of a conflict at that point between Clue and Flynn more of a direct conflict no but I don't I don't think between Clue and Flynn I think that's the thing you're holding that in reserve you said Rinsler has been sent to there because they think that's one of the places that Flynn might go it turns out it is so they have a they have a fight but I don't think that Flynn should fight Rinsler at any point. Because, well, there's something because, to that. Because of the reveal that Rinsler is, in fact, a rectified version of Tron. Yeah. So it, to, to reveal that he's actually fighting his brainwashed friend. No, but, that, but that means they get a little bit of time with each other. Because the way, the way it's done in the film, they don't really conclude that with each other, apart from very, very quickly. That yes. Tron almost... You know, he sort of fights against it. Whereas you could make use of Jeff Bridges doing some good acting in in a sort of an emotional confrontation at some point. Maybe perhaps that Rinsler stops himself from fighting with Flynn. Or there's there's going to be some sort of conflict, but they, they he back, oh yes, I don't he, mean you want to see... He backs away from it for some reason, and we don't know why. And that's sort of it's because it's Tron is still there in the back of his head somewhere. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying you want Kim Bridges doing karate. You'd have to design the fight so that. Rinsler's athleticism is countered in some way by by Flynn's by Flynn do, do, yes yes and that's yes. the thing you could turn that into a good scene that, which then also transformed the bar which is then a, a reason to destroy the bar but I just think I don't want to have that fight I, it just feels wrong to have that well I think I think part of the issue is because there's Clue there's Tron there's uh, Jarvis who's nothing but there's no everybody else is a henchman like a like a a faceless henchman. That's the thing, I think. It means you've only got that one capable henchman and then the boss. Whereas if there had been another level of sort of rectified enforcer type thing, yeah. that, that would have given you that stepping up. But he does have guards all over the place. Yeah, but they're, but they're nothing. I mean, they're just, they're just the guard. Laser fodder. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But you could have had a thing where, you know, Clue reveals that he's got some sort of elite core based on Tron. You could even have a thing where he's saying, well, I've, I've made my enforcers to protect the system. Right. Which, which Rinsler is, but you, but you would have a sort of thing where there's, well, there's Rinsler and then there's another group. It's, because, it's, because it's a bit like a computer game. You want to kind of keep upping the, the difficulty levels. Yeah. You want to have boss fights, if you like. Mm. And I think two-thirds of the way through, you've got a thing where they've met Flynn, they know where they're going to go, there's a bit of a thing in the road, but there's, there's got to be a confrontation at some point. And the confrontation can't just be a couple of the sort of the novel guards uh, parachuting. And, no. You know, there's got to be... I, I think there's just... You've got to have more than that. You want to then leave the city behind. Like, we had a big conflict there, that's done. Yeah. Now we're, now we're and free. Now, and now they're, they're off on yeah. the, the solar sailor. Yeah. yeah. I just felt that the pace was quite samey. Just just for a little... I mean, again, this is, this is sort of nitpicking. This is, you know, you know, with hindsight, how would you have changed it? Okay, but um, I just sort of thought, that's quite um, flat in some sense. So while they're, they, they hop a train, yep. which is the solar sailor, kind of a, a freight vehicle... Yeah. Out towards the portal, and Flynn works on 
Korra's desk to figure out and fix the damaged code so that her arm will regrow. And um, they talk about... They, Sam fills him in on some of the news of what's been happening in the real world. He mentions Wi-Fi. Oh, oh yeah, no. Oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> oh, come on. So Wi-Fi? Oh, I thought of that in 1985. Oh, did you? Oh, that's good. I like... Oh. Oh, wouldn't it be good if we didn't need to use wires? That's like, I thought teleporters. Yeah, but he didn't have no, to do anything. Wireless, wireless interlinking of devices. It's not that he thought of it, he was, the inference is that he figured out a way for it to work. I know, but then, and that was just a bit too but much. But then he was sort of working on, you know, the whole digital universe he's created, and the technology wasn't really there for it to work. I know, but I just thought that. Just a little bit more wrong. No. You can't say that that was genuinely funny. That was that was it's kind of a, amusing in yeah, that kind it's, of. It's meant to be a little, little. Amazing. I know, but that's. I just thought, oh no, no, do something else. Do a thing about some ridiculous politics thing, or, or you know, like I, Apple, or Apple, I, Apple really coming back from the brink, oh, yeah. uh, or or some or something. As was nineteen eighty two. Okay, I've been in here a thousand years. Have the Cubs won the World Series yet? Okay, <laughs> that would be quite winsome as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's got yeah something like you know. Yeah, everybody's using anything called Apple now. Right. Okay. You, you know, just, you know, something like that. Like, oh, yeah, thought of Wi-Fi. Oof. Come on. Kindle? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Wi-Fi thing, I think it's, it's, it works because I think it's more universal. It's not a, it's not a brand. It's not a company. It's a, a general idea. Yeah, but if you're Disney and you own it, why not just have them say, it's Mickey Mouse still a thing? That would be that's, funny. Because that's not a tech thing. Yeah, but just, you know, do they still have cartoons? Oh, yeah, Mickey Mouse is still popular. I don't know, I don't know, but I just... Was Mickey Mouse that popular in 2010? I don't know. They've still got Coca-Cola, right? Yes, and they still do movie franchises. <laughs> but, yes, the uh, the end of line club gets blown up, and as Cara recovers, and Sam has heard the story of how she came to be, the two of them bond. That's because he's just snuck it. He's like, oh, let's just up the romance. Oh. There's the little indicator. That... You're, such, you're such a grump. <laughs> no, no, that's... that's he's, yeah. he's just subtly brainwashing her. He's, he's heard her story, and he, so he feels very compassionate towards her. Yeah. And they are starting to care for each other a great deal, I think. I mean, she also looks like it'll be a while, so it's understandable. And... Also, she says that she was rescued from the purge by her creator. And he says, oh, you're just like my dog. And then he looks no, directly she, into no, the camera no, he and he winks. And then a picture of the dog comes up. I don't do anything like that. It's in the stage directions. But also, she she's never they mentioned, because in the grid it's dark all the time, that she's never seen a sunrise. I know. that. I mean, do you know what? I think No, okay, right. You're, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that that... I don't think that was great, but I think that took every ounce of acting ability to make that as kind of okay as it was. That I'm just saying that could have been terrible. That could have been really terrible. I'm com- I am complimenting the, the actors. I think that is hard dialogue to get through. Even tell me what your well. problem is. <laughs> I'm, I'm a curmudgeon, but no, no, I, no. But I, generally, I think that's. I think they did well because I don't think that is. I think that's one of the bits that they worked on to make the relationship between them feel more natural and more sincere. Yeah, I, but I, I mean, I'm saying I didn't think it was great, but I, I'm saying it could have been terrible. 
I'm genuinely saying that I think I think they re- like they yeah. must have worked hard on that. Is great while insulting the script at the same time. I, I understand. I understand what the. Tr- I, 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 I understand what the what they're doing and 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 possibly even that that is necessary and everything, but there would be a lot riding on that. Yeah, and it works. All right, I and think it's, it's, it's scraped by, but I think scraping by is the best you could have got out of that. But he he describes the sunrise as warm and. I mean, it's like them asking what love feels like. I mean, it's like. Well, yeah, I and mean, they get around that by talking around it. That's 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 the strength of this part of the script. Like the Don't interrupt the scene. <laughs> this, this is the strength of this part of the script because they're talking around that. They're never referring to it directly. They never make it explicit. They're always talking. That's in, true. In roundabout terms. Yeah, that's true. To that's, make it feel that's true less in your face and much more organic. I think they should have said, "What's going to the bathroom? What's that about?" I do not understand that at all. Well, it's... <laughs> I don't know. I bet you've never read a poem that didn't rhyme. No, of course I have. He said, wondering. Yeah, actually, that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that. Although I didn't think that was great, I do think they pulled that off remarkably well. Good. Thank you for that lengthy caveat. Well, they uh, the containers that they're shipping turn out to be full of programs as they arrive at the the huge rectifier, and they realise that Clue is building an army for himself. Cora, she gives Flynn her disc and makes a run for it. To, as a distraction and ends up fighting with Riz, Rinsler. Meanwhile, Clue is delivering his speech to his troops, which again is set up to mirror yeah, yeah. the speech from the beginning, to say our, our destiny is out there because Clue wants going to lead his army through the portal and invade the real world. I don't know how that would actually even work. How do, you... how do we know that it wouldn't? No, I'm not saying it wouldn't. I'm just saying, like... When they send the tanks through, do they just... They just smash the side of the building. Yeah, but they're all emerging out into that little room. They're going to break their own computer and kill themselves. That would have been a weird one. Don't pick nits. Okay. This isn't the nitpicking show. Okay. It's always the nitpicking show when I'm around. You don't get invited back. <laughs> no, but it's things... I mean, I, I mean, I yeah, more than anyone else I know, I really get annoyed by things that make no sort of physical space sense. Yeah. That's why I can't stand the Star Trek films, the new ones. The sense of time and set. I know that you really hated Star Trek Into Darkness. Because we, you, Even the first one. We saw that together. Yeah. And you didn't. Have you seen Star Trek Beyond? Uh, yes. What did you think? Did you hate that too? Uh, if it had been a two-part episode of a TV series, that would have been okay. But as a $100 million or whatever film, ooh, Oh, I liked it. I thought it was an improvement on the first two by some margin. Yeah, I've, I've yeah but they are so, so bad. <laughs> Anything would be. But um, as Clue talks, he describes how he's going to rid the system of, of a false deity. And so it's, as Flint said earlier, it's the, the idea of life within the grid is revolution, it would revolutionise the idea of religion. Mm-hmm. The creation of life artificially almost Frankensteinian that's not the sort of thing you get in a Disney movie is it? well it patently is not the sort of thing you would expect musings about the nature of life and no but I mean Disney is so 
I mean, Disney is not just cartoons. Disney is, but this is a, a mega corporation. But this is a big. Can carve this, out this, space for itself. This is a blockbuster Disney movie with the Disney logo on mm. the front. This is the stuff with the Disney label on. This is the stuff they want to be associated with. This is the stuff they want to have their brand and their symbol on. Yeah. And it's complicated and weird, and it's asking, it's raising these odd questions that you don't see in anything else like this. You don't see the Disney logo on any Marvel movies. That's deliberate because they're a separate and yeah. sort of separate entity. But they don't, and nothing else with a Disney logo on, I think, has ever approached this level of thought and complexity. That's what I think makes Tron Legacy so interesting, that it's such a, it was such a gamble to do something this odd. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's not the kind of thing you'd expect Disney perhaps to be doing. But it's not, it's not hugely radical, I don't think. I think it is for Disney. Well, okay. Another studio, maybe. And certainly if it was less aimed at a family audience. Yeah, all right. I think it was the same same year the year before that um, David Finch's version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was released and promoted as being the big feel-bad Christmas movie. Yeah, that's an interesting one because they really struck out for something there and it just didn't work. I think, that was, I think that was a much better adaptation of the book than the original Swedish version. No, no, but I just mean in terms of the marketing, the, the kind of, oh, I th- here's, I, a, here's a Christmas movie that is, this, it's, we're really going when, for something we, dark, it's and a we're not, movie. And we're not, yeah, we're not going to pretend this is anything other than dark, weird, potentially but I, but disturbing. I th- but I think he, he had a lot of control over that. Yes, he has, he, Fincher has a lot of control over his movies. But I think, it, he does, in general. And, and, it, and the way they're marketed as yes, well. Yes, yeah, but I think. I think they, I think they, well, I mean, they it's, picked, it's, they picked they an were... angle that was a, was kind of a unique selling point, and the promotion never mischaracterized the movie because *Girl with Dragon Tattoo* is dark, weird, and difficult, and it's over two and a half hours long. It's really violent. It's really brutal, and it's asking a lot of very difficult questions. And it never, in the marketing, pretends to be anything other than that. Yeah. But it turned and out the, and the that, that, that is and not what people want at Christmas no, time. But, had, well, but then they make a joke about it. So yeah, it's the feel-bad movie of the season. This is a really grim, depressing movie. But yeah, it's, But it's counter-programming to all the light, fun Christmas stuff. The same way, you know, you get a weird art movie coming out the same weekend as Star Wars. Yes, yes, okay. But, but I mean, I quite liked the film when I saw it. Yeah, I loved it. And they are obviously going for something specific. But, like, it didn't work. It's, the, it wasn't a disaster... Uh, Financially, but it well, it didn't work. It didn't do. I mean, it was. It didn't help that it was a really expensive movie. It cost ninety million dollars. Wow. Well, okay. All right. It might have taken a financial disaster. And there's a reason why they didn't do the sequels. Still, still being bounced around. Um, uh, the plan now is that they're going to jump straight to the girl in the spider's web, the uh, fourth book by the new writer. Well, and they have already hired a new director. Based on the Swedish films, I think that's probably a good idea because the third one, which inevitably follows up from the second one, is... The second one is not great and the third one is also not great. Well, it's just long court scenes. Yes. A huge amount of it. But like two will follow into three, so yeah. get rid of them. Jump well, the, 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 the plan is to do the fourth and then if yeah. that's successful to rework the second and third so they follow on from the fourth. Yeah. But anyway, again, I suppose for Tron... Again, it's all about that. You set up a very particular thing, very particular aesthetic. You market it in a particular way, and you 
give it a go. Mm. And it didn't work. It didn't work well. It, it didn't work well enough. It didn't work as well as they wanted. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. The finance team are going to have a different definition of what works. Yeah. The, the, from. Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah, you know, the actors or the director or the writer or whatever. Mm. So I would say from the bottom line people. Yeah. The they will, yeah, they shows, will be disappointed. Yeah. yeah clearly. But, you know, they, there's, there's printed circuits where they're halves are. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you you can see it from their point of view as yeah, yeah. as, as I mean, a, a sort of a dispassionate as a as a investor as a something. corporate venture. It was not as profitable as they had hoped, and it decreases their willingness to invest in similar ventures. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, on that level, I understand absolutely why they didn't do any more. Yeah. I just think it's a shame artistically that they didn't do any more. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Um, the same way that it's a shame that artistically they didn't go straight on and do the other two uh, Steve Larson books because I would have been interested to see what David Fincher could have done with the second and third one because I'm sure he would have made them interesting. Instead, we're getting Fede Alvarez, the director of Don't Breathe and the um, Evil Dead remake, who is quite a weird choice. Don't Breathe supposed to be good. Um, it's a very small-scale movie. I, I mean, uh, the remake of Evil Dead, I thought, was better than it should be. I don't think Evil Dead original is a very good movie. I think it's really unpleasant to watch and not scary. It's just nasty. Um, he has a style, but he has never done anything that doesn't set in a single house. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe that's what the next film's going to be like. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I, don't know, I, I haven't read the second and third books yet either. I've seen the movies. The other thing is that Clue wants to use Flynn's disc to escape from the grid and, and thus make it open and free for programs to free the information to allow the free movement of information so free the Nazi what exactly well the thing is he's now making the same argument that Flynn was at the beginning so that's showing that Flynn's argument is flawed yeah the idea of because free information you have to have control of the system in order to allow the information to be free so to allow total freedom you have to have total control and that's where the and that's because the, if the control's in the hands of the wrong person, you end up with Clue in charge. Here he comes now, on his big orange motorbike. Sam and uh, Kevin disagree on whether to go for the disc or for the portal. And they come up with their line again about how they were on the same team. But uh, they fight their way through the guards. Flynn manages to reprogram one and then reboots him by punching him in the head, which I liked. Yeah, that was all right. That was good. And they get into the the top citadel, and where Jarvis just cowers from them, <laughs> without without them even having to threaten him. He, well, immediately, that, yeah. he immediately gives in. Yeah, he's very much the Smithers of the grid. Rinsler and Cora fight, and Sam and she manage to escape on a light glider. Is that right? Yeah, this was yeah, yes. sort of. And um, they get the disc back. They've managed to get the. They've managed to get uh, yeah. the disc again. Uh, the guards follow in their light jets, and there's a dog fight. There's an exciting mm. now aerial fight um, in the movie. I I didn't find that quite exciting, and I don't know. It did, didn't seem to have the pace, and I think some of that is to do with the the environment that they're in. In a way that the light cycle fight didn't have that problem. You seem to really get you got more of a feel for speed, whereas the the sort of the, the fact that they're sort of moving around in three dimensions more, but 
it, everything's black. But yeah, right. I, I think the aesthetic sort of works against it a little bit. I see. I mean, not a terrible problem, but I just thought it wasn't quite thrilling enough because once things can move freely, I don't know, I, I felt more like oh, I'm watching someone program something into their special effects package here. Oh. Just a bit more, you know. But Rinsler's starting to flash back and, and reboot, and Clue has almost managed to trap our heroes uh, in a, a spiral in the, with the light exhaust, mm. where Rinsler comes in from the side and smashes into them and uh, says his one other line of dialogue, the line from the original movie, I fight for the users. And I think when I first saw that in the cinema, I actually punched the air. I was so into it by that point. All right. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, so Clue and Tron fight in free fall and, and Clue takes his backup stick and, and Tron just falls into the water of the ocean and as he falls, descends into the deeps, his, his suit colour changes from yes. orange back to blue and he's become good as he dies. And that's the secret, actually, that all you need to do is have a wash. The orange washes off. So actually what they should have done is just had a big tidal wave. Or laughing at a man's death. No, he's not dead. Preser- he's... Ah, he was, there was no way he wasn't coming back if they made another one. They couldn't have... Before... Oh, you know, he just died in the ocean. <laughs> That's terrible. He'd, ha- he'd have to come back. He sacrificed himself to let others survive. I think, I think even the, the last time round they talked about uh, doing a third one, Bruce Boxleitner who played Tron, yeah. and Alan said that he had no interest in being involved anymore. Uh, okay. I'm not sure they would have been kicking down his door. I think the fact that they brought him back for this, for his his few scenes as Alan, and then doing a, a few... Yeah, it makes sense from their point of view, but I'm, like he's not commanding massive money. I'm not having to go at him. I'm just saying he was a good get to ground the story as a proper sequel. Yeah. They didn't need to get him, I don't think. No. So the light jet lands at the gate, but Clue's waiting for them, and there's, a, and there's the, the big last confrontation. Clue says that he was following the plan, but Kevin insists the plan was flawed, and there's, there's no possibility of perfection. And Clue manages to take Kevin's disc just as Sam and Cora get to the gate, but it says there's been a switch. Yeah. And it turns out that Flynn's been carrying Cora's disc and that Cora has Flynn's and they'll be able to get away. And Clue asks, why? Why did you do this? Because he's my son. And Clue, did, Clue did, cannot understand this. It's not... His his mode of thinking is too stiff, it's too rigid. Mm. He doesn't he not allow the flexibility of, of change and evolution. And despite Sam's insistence that they try and stay and help Kevin, Clue runs to, to get them and get the disc, but Flynn pulls him back and drags him into him and embraces him, and they reintegrate and, and they're annihilated. Yeah. Embracing his prodigal son. That always causes a massive explosion. It does. If you try it, kaboom, always. That picture on the wall behind you. That's not yours, is it? No. No, I didn't think it would be. <laughs> it's too artistic, you think? Yeah. It's not like too, a gra- too much emotion. It's not a graph or anything like that. Ah, oh, I love a good graph. No, you're incapable of love. 
<laughs> that was a bit harsh. Uh, well, possibly. <laughs> you, are, you are capable of love. Just, just, capable. Not, just, just not of sympathy. Uh, or, um... No, it was good. Like, no, that, I mean, that's uh, it's a more interesting end than they shoot him in the head and, yeah, and, and then they win. It's, it's solving the, the final conflict in the story not through violence, but through embracing, uh, literally embracing one's flaws and acknowledging yeah. one's mistakes. But it also gets, it gets Kevin Bridges out of Kevin Bridges? Kevin Bridges? <laughs> yeah, who's the other bridge? Jeff Flynn. He's the other of the bridges. Um, uh, it, get, it gets... It solves the conflict. It solves the conflict. It also solves any contractual issues. They don't need him. They've, 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 they've wiped the slate. Yeah. But it's... They don't even need Sam a, or anything. You could, have, you could have a sequel where someone else gets in. You, you don't need it, is what I'm saying. No, but for the sake of the audience, it's a good idea to have characters coming back. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, but I'm just saying somebody's gone. It's fine if the actors that would, that decide that they're going to. That would then just really be a reboot rather than a continuation of the story. Yeah, but you, you, you know that somebody, some producer somewhere is thinking, if this happens, then this. If this happens, then this. Here's the plan C for these actors that want to come back or. Everybody takes against this actor, or Garrett Hedlund and Olivia Wilde have both said that they would like to come back. Yeah, and yeah, play okay. Sam and Cora again. Well, I mean, I'm sure part of that is why wouldn't they want to be in a big blockbuster? Well, I think uh, I'm very cynical here, and that's yes, what that, I mean, I'm being very cynical. No, but I, no, I'm just, I, but no. Regardless of them, I'm just saying that some producer somewhere is thinking Kevin Bridges is. <laughs> oh my that. goodness! Right, Jeff Bridges. Yes. No, Scottish comedian. Uh, Kevin the Bridges. one who bought the horse by mistake. What? Yeah. So Jeff Bridges. Right. Okay. Jeff, there will be people there going. You know, we're investing huge amounts of money in this. This is the contingency for this. This is the contingency for this. Mm. If this doesn't work out, we will have something where someone else gets into the digital realm, and it turns out all computers are connected or something like yeah. that, or you know, it's the digital version of the internet or whatever. Not a terrible idea. No, necessarily. But I think I would call that a last resort. Not a, well, not a last last resort. Would be not making it at all. But um, Plan C. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm just saying, someone will be. Yeah, you know, the, the stories are not formed just because the writer decides this is exactly what I want. Well, I think that this, that that maybe the first draft then would the, survive. The sensible thing to do, I think, is to come up with a few story ideas. And then find out which actors want to do them, and then work yeah. at which story yeah. idea. You can but you use. can do all sorts of things very quickly, you know, or, or very simply. Literally, like Sam connects the computer to the internet, and the idea that this just immediately the the grid becomes just this vast universe of wondrous things, and then you can set you can have all sorts of different aesthetics if you want, and all sorts of different realms and different stories that can take place, and it means that you don't have to tie it to the Flynns or that company or. But you would want, if you're doing if you're doing a, a movie like that, you you need to have some level of continuity, rather than just having it be the world of it. You, oh, yeah, you yeah, want yeah, to have some kind of emotional can... engagement as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it means you you can have a setup whereby that's going to occupy the first twenty minutes of your film, right? But not the next two hours. Again, it's it's about contingency plans. I would say. It, yeah, it depends on how clean a slate you want or yeah. need. But yes, they emerge. Back into the real world, and again, so that that's it. Cuts and they're oh, they've been there for a little while, and Sam has downloaded the whole of the grid onto a little tiny little 
yeah. SD card. <laughs> because I think it's the idea that it's this is like the grid has been there for thirty years, yeah. like twenty five years, thirty years, and at the time, like a computer computer memory was now you can fit on one SD yeah. card. Yeah. It's like thirty two gigs maybe. Mm. And uh, Alan is there, and he's going to be the new chairman of Encom because Sam says Sam's, so. Sam, well, Sam's the majority shareholder. He can make these decisions. That depends. I mean, it's not as simple as that. But he he, he can because it's because it's, it's a movie. It's a movie. Yeah. As long as it's plausible, then it, then you can just go with it. Okay. So yeah, he's the, yeah, he's the majority shareholder. He makes all the decisions, or he can overrule anyone who disagrees with him because mm. he understands that now the, the whole idea of Making the information all free, it's not as simple as that. More complex, it's more organic. There's a reason you have to buy Windows, guys. That's the message. They're, they're good, they're goodies, Microsoft, but you, you've got to buy Windows. I did actually read that there was <laughs> um, someone who wrote a, a piece analysing this in terms of the movie reinforcing that as an idea. That There is definitely that thread yeah. of they're not evil. I think it's more saying that the same way that Clue wanted to create the perfect utopian system, but that doesn't work. That can't actually work because the world you live in is too complex and too tending towards change. In the same way, the idea of all information being free, it's not that simple. The world is too yeah. complex. There has to be a certain degree Level of, of corruption. A certain degree of... Or exploitation. Of... <laughs> no, but, not that, but that is an issue. You, you, you can keep with that idealism and think, well, that's, that's a great ideal. Let's try and strive for that, but in a realistic way. How can we how can we create this utopia, but one that actually works in a realistic way? So you can't yeah. like, you can't so be it, an anarchist. You just have to move towards in, in the same way. You know, you can't live in a world where no one pays taxes and expect hospitals to run, for example. Where you think, well, we, yeah, well, there's a, there's a give and take there. We pay a little bit of tax, and then we can have hospital systems that we can go and use when we need them. So it's. That's yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's, it's it's that kind of more, and it's and it's Sam maturing as well, as a character realizing that idealism needs to be tempered by, but not being mature enough to wear motorcycle helmets. Well, no, because then you can't see his face, because then he goes. She's, she's just turned but up then, in the world. But then she... He goes outside, and his bike's there, and Cora's there too. She's out in the real world. She doesn't wear a helmet either. She doesn't know any better. That's her excuse. Sam is playing fast and loose with. That, well, they they drive away. Don't interrupt me anymore. You your your anti motorcycle helmet bias has been clear am, for a, a while, Jeremy. I you am, hate helmets. I am very cross about people who ride bikes and don't use helmets. Yeah, but motorbikes. You're like, I don't care. It's a movie. <sighs> Sam tells Cora that he wants to show her something. Cut to them riding through the forest as the sun comes up, and that final scene. It's just this gentle music and no dialogue. I'm just Cora watching the sunrise and being completely enchanted by it with this look of. I, I of yes, certainly again, they could, they could have made the mistake of her, you know, gazing adorably, adorably yeah. at the, or adoringly at the, uh, at the back of his head. Or anything. But no, they don't. I mean, that is quite good that he's driving and she's just, she's looking around and it's yeah. interesting what's going it's on. Amazing. That, that, is, that is better. And it's a nice uh, contrast again to Blade Runner because the original ending of Blade Runner was. Um, Deckard and Rachel driving through a forest, although that wasn't what Ridley Scott wanted, so it was cut from all subsequent versions. But it's that pleasing contrast of the the harsh mechanical city with yeah. 
light and nature and openness. I think, personally, that some flaws that we've discussed, notwithstanding, and you have, I do think that you've raised some points that I agree with. I mean, I've gone quite hard on it. I mean, like, yeah, I think some some of the the structuring things, like about the fight in the the end of line club, and one or two other things, you do have a good point there. But those notwithstanding, I think this is a near perfect blockbuster movie. Yes, I I certainly think like if you had like a nephew or a son or something like that, and they were like, well, see, I'm not saying son because I, I think because you you would be responsible in some ways for. The, the things they'd seen but like if you had a nephew I do have a nephew okay but if they were like 12, 13 that sort of thing and they were like what's Tron Legacy then I'd be like oh this is good you will like this have a seat we'll put it on the TV I, I, I do think it's 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 good I think it's it's what a niece I mean I'm not trying to say no I, mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's I think it would be you know because it's, it's it's thinking that through in particular yeah because yeah, you've yeah. got a very good female character female lead character there who is interesting and textured yeah. and engaging perhaps actually more engaging as a character than Sam yeah. who has a slightly it's, I mean, it's, pre- I mean it's pretty male heavy in, otherwise in, in terms of number of characters yeah. yes yeah. there aren't so, that many other female characters yeah. in the movie Connor doesn't have anyone she doesn't speak to any other woman no I think the Bechdel test because I know that's what you're pointing at that's a little bit flawed. Oh no, no, it is. Bit. It is. I'm just, uh, but just, but, but yeah, that is. But that just is, the ratios yeah. are, are, you know. Yeah, it's a terrific action scenes. It has a a strong, clear plot, the the, the quest story. Yeah, um, which I think is fine. And the performances I think are in general extremely good, despite what you think. No, I don't. I don't, I don't think anybody's bad. At, well, no, I know about for Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Like. No, but what the thing he what he's doing. I, do not like that. You don't like the choices he made. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not he's not falling through. Um, yeah, he hasn't made a mistake, and that's what he's ended up with. He's gone for something, right? Which I did not enjoy watching. Right. But yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I think it's quite widely acknowledged that Michael Sheen is a good actor. Yes. And the effects are astonishing. The design is remarkable. Like I said it's one of my favourite scores. It's, yes. I've got so, it on my iPod. Yeah, I've got it on my non-iPod. Um, it's a piece of mass market entertainment created with an artist's aesthetic sense, but the attitude of a philosopher in terms of looking at deep questions in what could otherwise be a piece of shallow ephemera. Has there been a Disney movie that has demanded this much thought from its audience? The answer is no. <laughs> what about Aladdin? It's got some... Uh... Interesting thoughts about the rights and wrongs of slavery. Well, fair enough, but not as much as there's thoughts. What about Little Mermaid? That's all. That's got all sorts of weird things going on. I mean, not as much as as Tron Legacy. No, okay, fair enough. Well, actually, to be honest, since I saw this movie, I watched Zootopia or Zootopia is quite good, or Zootropolis, as it's named in the UK for copyright reasons. Oh, okay. Because someone in Denmark holds the rights to the name Zootopia, and Uh, uh, that's that's a good movie. I was. Because it, it was such a massive hit, I thought, I've got to see this. And it's surprisingly very thoughtful and complex for a talking animal cartoon. Yeah. It's a movie about the complexities of racial attitudes starring a rabbit and a fox. Yeah, it's good. Uh, uh, sorry, which one is it here? Zootopia or Zootropolis? It's called Zootropolis, but I'm calling it Zootopia because that's its actual name. Okay. But it's very good. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. 
Guys, go and watch that. Don't watch Tron Legacy. No, watch both. <laughs> watch Zootopia with your smallest children and then Tron Legacy with your slightly older children. Because it, there is some violence in Tron Legacy and it's not suitable for all ages. Uh, it's definitely a PG, I think. I suppose maybe, t- yes, tiny little children would find it a little bit scary. I think, I think the, the whole dark tone of it, visual dark tone, I think, and, and they might find it a bit intimidating. You know your own children best, I'm sure, listener. Anyway, uh, it's great. <laughs> you can't have that as your final word. Well, you well, can have it as your final word. Well, I would say it's, it's, Yeah, what are you going to say? It's good. I'm going at it pretty hard, but it is good. It's very particular. Well, that's a very wishy-washy way of summing it up, but it's very particular. I think there were lots of people would, within five minutes just think, I, I'm, this is not for me. Whereas other people would would say, well, regards to the story, to see this and see what they what they have to show. But I can understand a lot of people might not think, oh, this is, or they think this will not hold up to repeat viewings because once I've seen it, I've got all, all that I want from it. Ah, but there's a lot more than what's going on there than you might think. Okay. But anyway, I'm concerned about your continued curmudgeonliness and there's a little story that I would like to tell you oh, that I no, think might I help you. Now, once upon a time, Marley was dead to begin with, and it's very important that you remember this, or none of what I'm about to tell you will make sense. One Christmas Eve, Ebenezer Scrooge... Thanks to Ed for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is on iTunes with 30 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. And we're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and in person at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two L's. But until next time, I fight for the users. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, edited by Tilda Reiser, with music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. Visit us at www.podnose.com.